What is good, Exposed Ones? It's Jay North, Northern Exposure Podcast. How the hell is everybody doing out there? Uh, just to catch everybody up, unfortunately, our good friend uh, Stephen Flowers could not make it out uh, to record the other night. Uh, fortunately, well, fortunately for him, business was good, but he was a little bit short-staffed, so duty calls, that always comes first, so we are planning on rescheduling that. Um, but anyway... How the hell is everybody doing out there? Again, this is a, a, a great time of year. It's uh, end of September, early October. Sports is really ramping up, and the little scoongeels have been back to school for about a month now. Uh, and first and foremost, you know, sports, this is just that time of year. College football kicks in, NFL, it, it's getting going now. It's a month in. You're starting to kind of see the storylines take place, who looks good, who doesn't. A lot of parody in the NFL right now, in my opinion. Um, and the, the classy, always classy, great broadcaster, uh, Mr. Tony Romo, had mentioned that uh, during the Packers game uh, that I was on pins and needles watching and uh, – not not quite sure what to think of my beloved Green Bay Packers. The the three and one record, while good, uh, can be a little little deceiving uh, as far as that goes. They're not exactly blowing people out, and they're definitely still trying to put the pieces together. There's you know it was nice to see Rodgers and the boys start to finally click uh, in the second half. But it was also concerning to see the uh, Patriots basically with a uh, third string quarterback. Uh, come in there and force overtime and kind of hang with you. So, again, a lot of parity in the league. Uh, not just my me noticing that, but Mr. Tony Romo again pointed that out uh, during the telecast uh, between Green Bay and New England. So, and again, baseball heating up, pennant race. There's this Aaron Judge guy who uh, just tied Roger Maris's uh, New York Yankee home run record at 61. And uh, we mentioned in the last podcast, you know, there's the steroid era, home run, home run era, if you will, where you know you had your Bonds, your Sosa, and your Maguire, and Barry Bonds ultimately uh, closed out at 72 there. I think there was a year Maguire had 68 and Sosa had 66. I don't have those stats right in front of me, but you know there was a little two, three year stretch there where those guys were just on a tear. And I believe the year again, not right in front of me, was 1998. Um, and just those three guys were in the headlines every night. Who was hitting it? Who was taking over? And there's a little debate between baseball folks uh, and baseball purists. And uh, I kind of go with you know the fact that you have to acknowledge that the era existed uh, and the steroid era. It's different than the guys that aren't cheating, you know. And if you don't want to call it cheating, I mean that's your prerogative. And I understand the folks that are like, if you have that many people juicing up, just, I mean, whatever, let them all juice up. Who gives a shit? And uh, again, you you start really tainting the game, uh, and you honestly see. Because it's not like they were slouches all their careers, you know, Bonds, Sosa, and Maguire. But if they all got on that sauce at the exact same time, which clearly the numbers indicate they did, they they far superseded any of their previous bests before subsect, uh, you know, suspected and eventually proven steroid use. So, mm, excuse me. But, uh, so again, that's the debate between people. And uh, my good friend, probably my... My number one podcast listening buddy, Louis Flores, uh, decided to bust my chops a little bit. And in his mind, you know, Aaron Judge would certainly be the king. 
um, because it is a it is a pure accomplishment, uh, and I think everybody agrees that you know with what baseball went through now two decades ago. Um, guys like Aaron Judge that start banging the ball out of the park with this kind of consistency are probably being tested often, if not daily, for performance-enhancing drugs. So it is nice to know that there's no way in hell Aaron's never had a drug test at this point. I mean, I would doubt it. I would doubt it. But uh, anyway, that's that's kind of where Louis Flores is at. And then Louis had to throw a little dig in there on me and say, you know, he would definitely be the king. That kid's a beast, and next year he's going to play in Boston. Lou, first of all, no, he's not. You're crazy. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something right now, Louie. Do you think he's going to give up? And I know, I know, your little Red Sox there, they're they're probably going to offer him an exorbitant amount of money. They really are. I'm sure they are. They've got they've got the payroll to do it. That's why I get angry with these Red Sox fans that try to say Yankees, you know, buy World Series. Sure, and so do you. You you're in there too with your high payroll. I think you you beat us the one year, uh, and I think the Dodgers are the highest payroll in the majors right now. So just to put that out there, because you know baseball doesn't have a cap. It's a, it's a very unique league in that regard. The team is as basically as rich as the owner, um, which. <sighs> You know, again, that's why other leagues have salary caps, and that's why maybe perhaps there is that parity that we just talked about in something like the NFL. But anyway, I digress. Louie, you cannot have Aaron Judge, okay? First of all, you already had your little Raiders there take Devontae Adams from me, okay? And you don't even know how to use them. It's like having a really nice sports car, and you're leaving it in the frickin' garage, okay? So stop it. And then, you know, he has a chance— and the Yankees can pay him handsomely, too. And he has a chance to become, I think, what is this, the eighth Yankee captain. And I, I do believe if he re-signs with the Yankees, he will be the eighth captain. They'll sign him for a lifetime deal because that's baseball. That's what they're doing right now. You get your guy. You give him a 10- to 15-year deal. You don't care. You'll see him all the way through to retirement. And then he will get one of those fancy head things in Monument Park. What do you got to offer him in Boston, Lou? A big-ass wall and a case of Samuel Adams. Get out of here. You can't have them. Damn it. I'll cry. I will cry. I will cry and I will avoid you at all clam bakes and public functions at this point if he winds up in Boston. I oh. And let me ask you this, Lou. I'm confused because you're a West Coast guy. You're a West Coast guy. The Raiders, you know, I totally get that part. And then they moved to Vegas. Listen, I would have followed them too. Because if Green Bay decides tomorrow that they're going to move the team to Sheboygan or Mantowoc, then okay. (laughs) They're still in Wisconsin. Uh, They're still the Packers. But, you know, I get you. So I want to know how the hell you wound up in Beantown. I want to know why you're not a Dodgers fan. Or, or are you? Are you a Dodgers fan too? Are you a double dipper, Louie? Let me find out about you being a double dipper. <laughs> but I had a, I got to bust your balls, big guy. I, I, listen, I'll cry. Is there a chance he goes somewhere else? Absolutely. We'll find out who's got the most, who's got the biggest pockets. Get themselves an Aaron Judge. I'm hoping he's staying in pinstripes. I'm greedy. I like winning. Uh, <laughs> but no, you can't have him, damn it. But that's it. We're here. We're ramped up. And we're going to talk sports a little bit today, but we're not really going to be talking about touchdowns or statistics. Uh, You know, on top of Aaron Judge going on and chasing this uh, natural power home run record, if you will, there's been some other headlines in the sports world um, that actually have very little to do with the game and more to do with uh, ethics, moral fabric, and just not being a piece of shit. And let's start with a, this is a piece of shit 
And this is a situation where I apologize if I sound really angry, folks. This is basically my childhood hero taking a, a shit on my dinner plate. And I don't know if I could ever look past this one. This this one's hard, and we are talking about Brett Favre, of course, the uh, one-time former great Green Bay Packer quarterback who now finds himself in some really bad uh, legal hot water here. Um, so what we've got is Brett Favre apparently is heavily involved, or a suspect, I should say, uh, in this uh, civil lawsuit that the Mississippi Department of Human Services has filed in May against Favre and others to recover more than $20 million in squandered public money. So basically to catch everybody up on what's going on. And this is tough. I had to dig into the internet for this, and it, it doesn't really come out in the sports world. They're not really talking about it much. Um, you know, you're not going to catch it on, you know, NFL Good Morning. Um, I don't even know because I don't watch the mainstream news anymore, so I'm not sure how much it's in the mainstream news. But this wasn't one of those right-in-your-face pop-up headlines. I had to search it. Um, but, you know, obviously being a Green Bay Packer fan and we've got our own little websites and our own little social media chats, this when this news first broke, we, we've had it. So I've been sitting on this for several days. I mean, hell, maybe two weeks now. Let's see how far back this goes. But basically, to catch everybody up, Mississippi is one of the nation's poorest states, and they spent millions in anti-poverty money on a volleyball arena at the University of Southern Mississippi, uh, where Favre's daughter graduate or where Favre graduated and his daughter played volleyball. So basically, this this is suggesting that welfare funds were basically being scraped off the top and used to buy things for the university. So apparently there's text messages that were filed in court last month that indicated that Favre and the uh, former Mississippi governor, Phil Bryant, had discussed in text messages using public funds for football practice facility. Ah, interesting. So yeah, Brett Favre, this is one of those things where I'm not really quite sure how the hell I can forgive you on this. And this is basically the article. It doesn't say much other that he's involved possibly. He's one of the suspects. He is going to be represented uh, by Eric Hirschman, who was a top a White House lawyer to President, former President Donald Trump. So uh, take that for what it is. But this is, the, this is Mississippi's biggest ever public corruption case. Um, and so this former lawyer to the White House, Hirschman, believes that he can get Brett out of this. But this is going to be tricky, and $20 million is a lot of money. We're not talking a couple hundred and he got some new new tires for the truck because they were bald. I mean, I've got so many questions, and it just nauseates me to think that somebody who I, not that I looked up to, but Brett Favre to me was the epitome of you can do it. He was that American underdog story. You know, he overcame addiction. He wound up being one of the greatest, most entertaining quarterbacks to play the game. You really wanted to root for him. Tough as, tough as hell. I mean, arguably the toughest 
football player of his entire generation, and there's defensive players that would vouch to that. But now you have to wonder if CTE ain't setting in on this son of a bitch. Like, how do you make these decisions? How do you steal uh, from welfare funds? And how the hell can you convince me that you don't have enough money? Now, he has endorsements from Wrangler, Tommy Copper. And if I go back to the uh, former tab I searched under... There's going to be, yeah, right here, brands are quiet quitting Brett Favre amid the welfare scandal. So let's see here. I'll pull this article up. Uh, yes, there's two brands that are uh, quietly distancing themselves, dis distancing themselves from Favre. And uh, let's see who they are if it tells us here. Uh, Farmer, blah, 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 blah. let's see. Who's backing off? Oh, these freaking articles are so damn long. Let's just, let's see. Right here, Favre and the Pharma Startup, the Hall of Fame quarterback. Who is it? Well, this is – oh, I don't want to watch the video. But, yeah, there's two two brands that are going to be dropping them. Let me see if I can get down to the bottom. Yep, Copper Fit is one of them. Here it is right here. Yeah, worked with Brett Favre for nearly nine years. I was going to say, he's been – yeah, and again, same bullshit. He's always acted honorably, blah, blah, blah. We know him to be a very decent man, blah, blah, blah. But I could tell you that this dude does have demons, and I think they came out on him here. Um, yeah, so this is, yeah, Copperfit is blah, 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 backing off. Let's see. Other companies remain silent, although two companies have scrubbed most mentions of Favre on their respective websites. So let's see, SiriusXM. Favre had a show on SiriusXM, uh, has been promoted repeatedly in recent days, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and let's see. So they tried to get him. So his last appearance was on September 13th on his Sirius XM radio show. Uh, multiple requests for his current status with the company have not been answered. Uh, 33rd Team, Favre is an analyst for the NFL-focused website that was launched earlier this year. Da -da -da. A, a text that a spokesperson was not returned. Yeah, so who knows? Copperfit, Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app. Uh, Far's picture still appeared on the site Wednesday afternoon, but a mention of the partnership in a text had been scrubbed from an August version of the page. So this has been going on for weeks. Odyssey Health, another one. So, and these are all recent, so it's not like Brett Favre didn't have money through endorsements and through, you know, different, he had multiple income sources here. So this is a this is just what the hell are you doing? And it's nauseating because again, you're like the, the the freaking golden boy of Mississippi, which I just mentioned is one of the poorest welfare states in the country. And rather than try to help it, you're stealing from it. And obviously for for your own personal selfishness, because your daughter was playing volleyball there, and you're a graduate of the school. So you were just basically trying to pump state welfare funds into your school to build facilities. We know some shit went towards volleyball, and now they're suspected that you were, you know, chatting with a former governor about taking money for football facilities. This is jacked up on every level, and if found guilty, I mean, let's, let's be honest, you can't buy your way <clears throat> out of this one. You're going to jail for God knows how long. I don't know what these charges would look like. I don't know if charges have been finalized. Again, it's a cloudy story, and it sounds like there's a lot of investigations still going on. But, you know, we, we have a roundabout number of $20 million in quote-unquote squandered money. 
and text messages that indicate that indicate that there was suggestion of public funds being used for football facilities. And that is just about ah, your moral your moral fabric is no good and it's just it's nauseating because you know the little 10-year-old boy that I used to be remembers watching him go out and play for the first time. And, you know, I was still a young sports fan, but, you know, I was very passionate about sports. I mean, it was just part of my culture where I went to school. It was a sports crazed class. Everybody played something, loved something. You know, that was back in the heyday when you had to get up early and watch Sports Center, and then you just freaking talked about it, and the teachers couldn't get you to shut up. <laughs> you know, it was just part of the culture. It was just part of, you know, who I was and what I was around. You know, my family liked sports. My classmates and friends liked sports. It was just, we all played it, and it was just a big part of our DNA. So, you know, we had favorite teams at very young ages, and, you know, I was hanging on every throw he made all through my high school years, and this this is just incredibly disappointing. And I don't know if he gives a shit, but this 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 makes a few things easy for us Green Bay Packer fans. Well, listen, just this Packer fan... Um, I'm not going to speak for all of us in, in Cheesehead Nation, but Mount Rushmore of Green Bay Packer quarterbacks just got smaller. It's, it's, it's Star and Rodgers. It's a duo now, not a trio. I mean, you have to... A, as an organization, I understand what the player did, but this is... You, you have to have some sort of ethic and moral fibers and set examples that 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 stuff's not going to fly. You can literally burn your entire resume as a player when you go on in post-playing life to be a giant shithead. And it appears right now that Brett Favre is a giant shithead. And let's not forget the steakhouse that he's got in Green Bay, which I had a very expensive, good meal, delicious meal. But... Again, it just goes into the fact that you can't tell me Brett Favre isn't making money and with all these other endeavors that he's got going on and the fact that you wanted to steal from the system, from your home state. I mean, that's like taking money out of your father's wallet. It's disgusting. Folks, going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about sports round two. We're going to talk about the apparent backslash head slash neck injury of Tua Tungavaloa and how suspect are the Miami Dolphins as an organization. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, everybody. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the Northern Exposure Podcast. This episode is one of those episodes where, again, as the title suggests, not all sports news is about statistics. So we kicked off poking a little fun at my guy, Louis Flores. And God, I hope you're wrong about Aaron Judge. I really, 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 really do. I'm going to pray on it every night, Louis, to Joe Boo if I have to. Uh, <laughs> But, not, again, not all sports news is about stats. And if you were paying attention to the NFL in a little bit of a capacity, and we're here in Buffalo Bills country, uh, we saw last Sunday during the Bills-Dolphins game that Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa uh, took an awkward tackle. It appeared he kind of hit his head uh, on the back of the turf, and he was definitely suspect as he tried to recover and get to his feet. He grabbed his head. He shook it out, like kind of shaking the cobwebs out, cobwebs out um, just like you would kind of see 
uh, on a cartoon, not to, not to make a joke of it, but he literally, he grabbed his head and shook the cobwebs out. And when he went to stand up, he had no bearing. He, he, his legs weren't there. Uh, they were spaghetti legs for sure. He kind of looked like a UFC fighter that just got rocked and was trying to avoid going down with every ounce of soul that he had left uh, in the moment. So a very suspect moment in the Bills-Dolphins game. And apparently Tua went through the concussion protocols uh, that the NFL has set in place with their independent neurologists and all this other good crap. And lo and behold, a couple minutes later, he's back in that Bills-Dolphins game. Of course, the Dolphins uh, went on to beat Buffalo. And then Tua and the Dolphins need to turn around four days later. Um, And in the injury report, the Dolphins just said it was a back issue. Um, but he was going to be fine, and he was going to be able to play Thursday night. So no no concussion uh, is, what, is what they said. And uh, long story short, uh, Thursday night, ironically, is bowling night for me. So this, this game is on, you know, several TVs throughout the bowling alley. A lot of us uh, play fantasy football. A couple of the three of the guys, four of the guys uh, that are sitting at that table are playing in the same damn league against each other. So we are watching. We are paying attention. Tua gets sacked. And uh, on the play, he's kind of rolled up and taken down, thumped onto his back. It, was, it wasn't a soft hit, but it wasn't the hardest that you're ever going to see in the NFL if you watch it for more than five minutes. But he went into almost this like seized up state where if you were watching it in real time, you almost thought that he broke some fingers. And you're thinking to yourself, how the hell uh, does that happen? But then as you watch the replay over and over and over again, you kind of start to understand that, uh uh-oh, maybe, maybe there's a lot more going on here than what we know. Um, So this, of course, he got carted off the field. Um, And this is going to bring speculation and an investigation into the Miami Dolphins as to whether or not any of this uh, was handled appropriately. Um, So we got to start with that. And what we know is, is over the weekend, one doctor was in fact uh, fired. So I'm going to read an article here. This is actually from ESPN. Um, And so right now he is in concussion protocol officially. There's no timetable on his return. The NFL and the NFL Players Association, which is their union, requested review of concussion protocols after quick return in week three against Buffalo. So the they're not even they're not doing an investigation on Thursday night. They're going back 96 hours to that Sunday, and uh, basically going let's start there. So here's the article. This is again right off of ESPN. It says the joint concussion protocol of the NFL and NFL Players Association is facing serious questions Friday. So the, this article is a couple days old. One day after Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tugavaloa suffered a concussion and was briefly hospitalized during his team's 27-15 loss to the Cincinnati Bengals. The injury occurred with 5 minutes and 15 seconds left in the second quarter. Uh, Tungavaloa's head hit the ground when he was sacked by Bengals defensive lineman Josh Tupo. Tugavaloa's arms grew rigid, which is kind of what I was describing to you guys, and his fingers curled in what appeared to be a fencing response. That's in quotes. Medical officials placed him on a stretcher and wheeled him to an ambulance. So I need to look up fencing response real quick, folks. I want to educate myself and uh, just see what that means before I keep going here because I think it's kind of important to know what the heck I'm talking about. So 
Google's a beautiful thing, and fencing response is the unnatural position of the arms following a concussion. Immediately after moderate forces have been applied to the brain stem, the forearms are held flexed or extended, yup, typically into the air, for a period lasting up to several seconds after impact. That is accurate as shit. That is exactly what we saw Thursday night while we were watching from the bowling alley. All right, back to the article. The timing of the concussion ignited renewed scrutiny of the hit Tugavaloa took four days earlier in Miami when he was shoved to the ground by Buffalo Bills linebacker Matt Milano after throwing a pass. So it was one of those bang-bang plays. There was no flag on that play, uh, to my knowledge, did it, it, to my memory, I should say. Uh, Tugavaloa grabbed his head, as I just told you guys, and then stumbled after getting off the ground. The Dolphins originally labeled it a head injury, but then later attributed the stumble to ankle and back injury injuries and allowed him to finish the game after he cleared an evaluation at halftime. All right, so here we go. Now we're going to start getting into some quotations, and this is where the people with degrees are starting to answer some of our questions. So this is in quotes. We'll have all of those interviews. NFL Chief Medical Officer Dr. Alan Sills told the NFL Network, quote, we'll review all of the video. We'll review all of the data. And the purpose of that review is to make sure that the concussion protocol was followed. It was revealed Saturday that the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant involved in clearing Tugavoa was fired, as I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, after it was learned that he made, in quotes, several mistakes, sources told ESPN Dolphins reporter Marcel Luis Jacques. The NFL and his players' union said Saturday that modifications to the, to the concussion protocol are needed. Now, I brought this question up to my neighbor Saturday night as we were hanging out. When it says here the doctor got fired after it learned several mistakes were made, but then the union and the players agree that modifications to the protocol are needed. So what mistakes were made if modifications are needed? Did he take the? Did this guy get thrown on a grenade? Basically, is what I'm trying to ask. Like, did he actually make mistakes, or did he follow the protocols that included that are kind of mistake ridden, and that's why you're going to make modifications? I digress, but I have all kinds of. So my scrutiny and my speculation for the Dolphins goes back to the whole uh, Coach Flores thing when they're tanking for Tua, and he was talking about the culture of the organization and they can be kind of shady and blah blah blah. But, you know, whatever. So, let's take a closer look at the issues surrounding Tugavaloa's condition, his next steps, and what consequences, if any, will arise from the NFL-NFLPA investigation. So, let's see. So, it says here, one of the questions is, so let's, let's, let's break it down even simple. So, this is after the hit in the Bills game, what happened at halftime? That's question number one. So, Tugavloa stumbles after hitting his head on the ground, suggests a display of gross motor instability, which according to the NFL's concussion protocol, required him to be taken directly to the locker room for evaluation. Dolphins coach Mike McDaniel said Tugavaloa insisted that a back injury he suffered earlier in the game was to blame. So now you're letting the player tell you. Oh, the player's, of course, going to tell you he's fine. The quarterback said Monday he had passed his evaluation for a concussion at halftime and was clear to return to the game. McDaniel said on Monday, quote, if any red flag popped up during the evaluation, he would not have played. He added that the team and the unaffiliated neurological consultant went above and beyond, that's in quotes, to, to the point where Tugavaloa was annoyed, that's in quotes, 
at the amount of questions he was being asked about a potential head injury. The Dolphins initially reported him questionable to return with a head injury, but later said it was ankle and back. This is interesting. Like you're, you're given an awful lot of authority to a player here. Or are you passing blame? Why would someone with gross motor instability be allowed back in a game? Okay, that's the question. After absorbing the initial hit in week three against the Bills, Tugavaloa stumbled noticeably. And again, no, there's no hiding it, folks. His knees buckled. He almost went back down. After getting up, he had to be stabilized by teammates. That's also a fact. The NFL concussion protocol refers to that type of stumble as gross motor instability and requires an evaluation to determine the cause. That section of protocol concludes... If the team physician, in consultation with the sideline, unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant, determines the instability to be neurologically caused, the player is designated a no-go and may not return to play. In Tua's case, the gross motor instability was attributed to a back injury and not a concussion because it was not neurologically caused, according to the determination of the team and unaffiliated doctors, he was permitted to play under the terms of the protocol. I've got problems with that. Even if it really was his back, brainstem, spinal column, you saw instability in his motor skills. You saw, uh, you could still be fucking with a man's ability to walk quality of life, paralysis. Something was still wrong. This, this whole thing stinks so far. I mean, you guys, as I'm telling you about this, make your own decisions. To me, this, this smells fishy, no pun intended, that it's the dolphins. Okay. So a couple more questions here. What was Tua's week like with the team leading into Thursday night's game? Sill said Friday that Tugavaloa was checked for concussion symptoms every day this week, including Thursday. The Dolphins did not practice Monday, which is not unusual after a Sunday game. But they did release an estimated injury report as if they did practice, and Tua was listed as DNP, did not practice, because of back and ankle injuries. McDaniel said Tua was dealing with ankle and back soreness and would not comment to Tua's ability for Thursday's game. So he's playing that Belichick card, and if you listen, he definitely was. He was trying to be that stoic, you know, whatever. Tua had limited walkthroughs on Tuesday and Wednesday, and league source told ESPN he made good strides from Tuesday to Wednesday. A final decision on his availability for Thursday's game was not made until Thursday morning. All right, so here's the other question. When Tua was sacked on Thursday, it was reported he went into fencing response. What is that? Ah, see, if I had some patience, we would have learned. Anyway, the fencing response is the involuntary neurological response to a significant concussive event in which the forearms become rigidly positioned outward for a brief period. The term originated from the sport of fencing on Garde with the position of one arm flexed and the other one extended. Okay. So Tua was taken to the University of Cincinnati. He was discharged before they left the Cincinnati area for South Florida. So you're talking he was only there for a couple hours. Underwent testing. No structural damage to the head or neck. Uh, he was alert. He had feeling. Let's see. He was accompanied. He went home with the Dolphins on the plane. Good spirits. Blah, blah, blah. He was wearing a neck brace. Got the MRI. So let's see. All right, so he's in the concussion protocol, so what's next? So Tua must proceed through a five-step process before returning to the field. This is what it looks like 
paraphrasing from the return to play portion of the protocol. Phase one, rest, and then limiting or avoiding physical and cognitive, cognitive activities if they, are, if they aggravate symptoms. Introduction of limited stretching and balancing work and moving to light aerobic exercise. So that's phase one. That's all it says. There's no timetable on it. It's just that's phase one. I'm not sure how long you're in phase one. Phase two, gradual progress toward cardiovascular exercise, dynamic stretching, and more balance work. Neurocognitive and balance testing can be administered if the results are interpreted as back-to-baseline, pre-concussion levels. Phase two is satisfied. All right, so there's, again, there's no, like, day or week time frame on either of these phases right now, but that's how you graduate phase two. You have to get back to pre-concussive baseline. Okay. Phase three, increased cardio exercise to mimic sports-specific activity along with supervised strength training. The player can practice with the team doing sports-specific exercises for 30 minutes or less. So that's phase three. Again, no timeline on when you actually get through that. Phase four, the player can advance to non-contact football activities such as throwing, catching, and running. Another round of neurocognitive and balance testing is administered to confirm results remain at baseline. Phase five, a club physician must clear the player for full football activity, including contact, then an independent neurological consultant, an INC, assigned to the team by joint agreement between the NFL and NFL Players Association, must concur with the team physician that the concussion has resolved. At that point, the player is cleared to play with his team in the next game. So, Tua very well could have a long road uh, after him. And again, this is an ESPN article. It does go a little bit further, um, but it was just tagged and it was written a couple days ago. It was written uh, over the weekend. It was just what we know about the injury to the Dolphins quarterback and what's next. So again, that's a five. He's in that concussive protocol. So that's going to be a five phase process. Um, this is something where Again, there's no real timeline on that, and I'm more concerned for the player's health at this standpoint, and this is where, I don't know, the whole thing smells kind of shady to me. How did you give the player so much control in a possible concussion protocol situation? Um, again, most players are going to try to sell you on the fact that they're fine. They don't want to lose their job. I mean, it happens at the unpaid levels of high school and college. So imagine when you're talking millions and millions of dollars on the line. If I can still stand up and see a little bit and don't feel like I'm going to throw up, I'm probably going to tell you I can get back out there, Coach. Um, but I don't know. What do you guys think? This whole thing seems kind of fishy to me. I definitely think the ball was dropped by the Miami Dolphins. I, I definitely now reading this article, again, some of this stuff I'm just digesting and, and absorbing for the first time, I should say. Um, but just to have the conversation that they had with the player during the Bills game and to give him, you know, that much, well, at least what I perceived as control from reading that article, it just seemed bizarre to me that, you know, and again, we all saw it. If you watched that game, you saw it. Um, at this point, every single two a highlight you could possibly want to see from these two games that led up to this entire situation is available at your fingertips. Just Google it, hop on your uh, hop on your website, and have fun with it. Uh, and, and you can see and make the decisions for yourself. Because 
I, I think now you're messing with a man's, not just the career, like career, you'll have your whole life to make money. Would it possibly be as lucrative as being a starting quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, probably not. Um, and again, this is probably one of those situations where sometimes when those players sign those contracts that have these giant levels of agreed upon money, no matter what happens, you know, this is one of those situations where I think those portions of player contracts are sort of justified because it, did he really have that much power to put himself back in the game? That's almost what it sounds like to me. Oh, it's my back. Uh, okay, sure, sure. Your back makes your knees buckle. But even if it did, even if it did, you've got something going on there that's messing with your motor skills. You shouldn't just fall over. So you probably shouldn't be getting hit by 300-plus-pound freaking defensive linemen and or 260-pound linebackers running like cheetahs at you. Probably not a good idea. So, again, for me... My suspicion of the Miami Dolphins organization, again, goes back to the whole tank for two a year, uh, the whole thing with the former coach Brian Flores, who had some not nice things to say about the organization from a ethics standpoint, if you will. Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't have much good to say about that organization. So it just it makes you wonder, is there some shady shit going on down there in Florida? And, you know, from a team standpoint, again, to the Brian Flores crap, if you're really trying to move on from that and you're really trying to make him look bad and make yourselves look like you were right, I mean, hey, how perfect is this? We're 3-0. and We just beat the Buffalo Bills. We're selling out games now. We're selling merchandise. We got to keep this train rolling. Because I don't know if they're the same team without Tua. But that's not important right now. What's important is you got a 24-year-old kid. I think that's all Tua is. I think he's all of 24 years old. And you could possibly be taking years off his life. Forget football. Forget football. I'm sure his mom doesn't give a shit if he ever throws a pass again, as long as she can hug him every Christmas or whatever they celebrate. So, I don't know. Stay tuned. I think if Tua doesn't see the field again this year, I would not be surprised. Now, I'm not speculating. I have no reports. I've, I've got as much information as I just read y'all. But now, you are on the radar. If you're the Miami Dolphins, every move that you're going to make on this guy. And the investigation's not even done to how he was handled. So there could be consequences still forthcoming to this organization. On top of now going forward, you are going to be in the sniper scope. You better handle this correctly. You better not rush anything back because God help you if you get three strikes, you're out on this guy this year. I mean... And again, that's five phases of that protocol. Who knows how long it is, but I'm telling you as a football fan and just as somebody who cares about other human beings, if Tua Tagovailoa does not take the field again this year, I would not be surprised. Exposed Ones, thank you so much for listening. Feel free to get, me, get at me on my social medias. Let me know what you think. Louie, I know I'm probably going to hear from you, but as always, brother, I love you, and thank you so much for listening. Until next time, Exposed Ones, I'm Jay North. This is Northern Exposure. Be good.